Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, today is Monday, October 22nd, and uh, I just had a crazy weekend. Oh my goodness. Um, I, I basically died. Like, I, If you follow me on Instagram, you saw I didn't sleep on uh, Friday night leading into Saturday. I worked for ESPN's college game day, and it was um, wonderful. It was just a, a fun day, great weekend, probably the best weekend I've ever had in college. I just loved it. Uh, we are having a massive, massive show today. Today's show is going to be awesome. It's got 20 topics. We have 20 topics I want to talk about. Usually we're down to like nine to seven, so this is going to be a, uh, a massive one and, and really good. I'm really proud of the content on this episode. I cannot wait to start. Um, I don't want to just jump in. I want to start with this. There are moments in your life. You know, there are a couple moments in your life, big moments where you need people to show up. You know, like you need a best man. You need some groom, uh, bridesmaids or groom maids or whatever, whatever, groomsmen. Is that what it's called? But there are, there are big moments in your life and you need people to show up sometimes. A, a big moment in my life recently, this is going to sound funny, but I needed a ride to the airport. And I was like, who am I going to get to take me to the airport? It's like a Tuesday. I need to get to the airport at 3.30 in the morning. And I had to ask myself, who do I trust? What people do I trust to get me to the airport at 3.30 in the morning on a Tuesday? And I knew, I think you thinking, you think about that scenario in your head. Instantly, there are a couple people that pop in your head and you go, nope, I would not call this person or this person or this person because they're not reliable. They're probably not going to show up. You don't know if they're going to show up or not. You want people who are reliable. You know who I'm not going to call to pick me up at an airport for an airplane at 3.30 in the morning is Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton does not show up at big moments. I hate to say this, but it's true. I recently made a list of quarterbacks that are stable. They're solid quarterbacks, but they're quarterbacks that I would replace as soon as I possibly could. Andy Dalton was at the top of that list. I don't hate Andy Dalton, but last night on Sunday Night Football was a prime example. Andy Dalton, in big moments, wilts. He doesn't show up. He's not there for you when you need him. He's not awful. He's not a bad quarterback. Andy Dalton's like your friend. You like your friend. He's a good guy. You go out for drinks with him. You have a good time. But when you need him in a big moment, it's 3.30 in the morning on a Tuesday. He's got to be at your house to pick you up, take you to the airport. Andy Dalton's not a guy you rely on. It doesn't mean you to hate him, but he's not reliable. So last night, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Cincinnati Bengals 45-10. to and it felt like every single play was a touchdown for the Kansas City Chiefs. I just, like, it was, it was like a walking, it was like a, an hour-long highlight reel. Four quarters of highlights for the Kansas City Chiefs. And the biggest, the, the loudest person was probably the quietest. Andy Dalton's absence from the game was noticeable. I kept wondering, when, when is Andy Dalton going to show up? He had like one big play down the sideline to A.J. Green. That was it the whole game. It was awful. I had I was watching it. I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And Andy Dalton never really did show up. I mean, he was 15 for 29 passing, 51% completion percentage, but only 148 yards passing. Had a touchdown, but also an interception. It was just a quiet, bad game. And, and you can think of an out. If you want to think of an out, oh, maybe this is not all Andy Dalton's fault. You can talk about the running game. People are going to talk about, well, you know, if you look at the the, I looked at all the wins and losses for the Bengals. In losses, the Bengals only averaged 64 yards rushing. 
And when they win games, they average about 103 yards rushing. And it's really weird. It's uncanny. They lost to the Chiefs. They had only 65 yards rushing. They lost to the Steelers. Only had 62 yards rushing. Panthers, 66. And in all their wins, the Dolphins had 103. Falcons, 99 yards. Ravens, 108. Colts, 101. It's kind of weird. 60 yards rushing and losses literally right at 100 yards rushing in their wins. And you can say that. You can explain away all the reasons why Andy Dalton didn't win last night against his Kansas City Chiefs. But, but I'm really sorry to say this. A 40-yard difference in rushing is not the difference in a 45-10 to 10 game. The difference in the game last night, the 45-10, to 10, that's because Andy Dalton did not cut it. It's painful. You might not like that. But if I were the Bengals, I would be looking for a way. I'd be actively pursuing a way to replace Andy Dalton as soon as possible. He's fine. He's good enough. But he's not a long-term situation you want at quarterback. He's like that girl that you date, that you like her. She's great. She's kind of boring. You just don't see yourself marrying her long-term. A friend of mine is dating a guy, and she likes him. He's good for the moment now. But it's going to end, and she knows it's going to end. And she's in college and says, I want to just enjoy these last couple of years I have left in college And then I'm going to move really far away and it's going to be over. And that's okay. But Andy Dalton's that guy. The guy or the girl that you date for a couple months and you're not going to marry them. You just, it is what it is while it lasts. But it's not a permanent long-term solution. Andy Dalton is not a permanent long-term solution at quarterback. He's not going to win you Super Bowls. I don't like saying that. He seems like a nice guy. He's got this cool fiery hair that sticks up. But Andy Dalton, sadly, sorry. But if I was the Bengals, I would be actively looking for a way to get a better quarterback. He's, he's just, he's like a six out of 10 and he's never, ever going to be a nine out of 10. And you need a nine out of 10 if you want to dominate the NFL and win games like last night when the Chiefs beat the Bengals 45 to 10. You get a better quarterback, maybe that's the difference between 45 to 10 and a competitive shootout. I don't know, but Andy Dalton last night did not cut it. I'd replace him as soon as possible. All right, we have a huge show today. Lots and lots of topics. We're going to talk about Baseball, basketball, NFL, ton of NFL stuff. We're going to talk about college football, the college football playoff, who I think is going to be in the Final Four at the end of the year. I haven't gone there yet. I haven't once talked about the college football playoff at all. We have 20 topics. It's a massive list. We're going to just, I'm just going to slowly work my way down the list. I want to start with probably the biggest story of today, which is that the Dallas Cowboys— The Dallas Cowboys traded their first-round pick in 2019 to the Raiders for wide receiver Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper, if you don't know, is a former first-round pick. And uh, there are two sides to this trade. There's the Raiders' perspective, and there's the Dallas Cowboys' perspective. I want to start with the Raiders' perspective. Right now, it's interesting. The Raiders actually have three first-round picks in 2019. That's a big deal. That's a lot of picks. Um, and it's official now. The Raiders are 1-5. and five. It's official. The Raiders are rebuilding. <laughs> They've given up. They're rebuilding. They traded away Amari Cooper. They traded away Khalil Mack. The Raiders are in full rebuild mode. They're lucky. At least they have a quarterback, we think. But I want to ask, you know, how do you think Derek Carr feels about this? Derek Carr gets a new coach who comes in and changes everything. Trades away his best friend, Khalil Mack. Trades away his favorite wide receiver, Amari Cooper. There's no way this sits well with Derek Carr. He might, he'll never say it publicly, but man, this has got to be brutal for Derek Carr. His stomach has got to be in knots. You lost your best friend, your favorite receiver. 
You're one in five. You're clearly rebuilding. If I'm Derek Carr, I'm not a happy camper. He'll, he'll never say it. He'll probably have a good attitude the whole time. But I just want to point out, Derek Carr is probably frustrated. Of course he is. They're one in five. He's frustrated with the direction the Raiders are going right now. Now, how about the Dallas Cowboys? A lot of people have said the Dallas Cowboys should not have given up a first-round pick for Amari Cooper. Why would you trade a first-round pick for a wide receiver? I don't know. I get why people feel that way. But I also want, it's worth noting, you know, what was that draft pick really going to become? Like, that draft pick is basically a lottery pick. First-round picks bust all the time. They're less and less. They're just not very reliable. About I think it's like the rate is 60% of the time they, they succeed. That's pretty low. At least with Amari Cooper, you know exactly what you're getting. You're getting a really good solid wide receiver that didn't gel with, and I can explain. His, his numbers have dropped off. I'm going to explain why that happened. But first, I want to focus on this. Um, it's worth noting that this trade, the Amari Cooper trade, trading away the first-round pick, the Dallas Cowboys traded away their first-round pick on the same day that news broke that Justin Herbert, the quarterback at Oregon, is going to be staying one more year at the U of O. What that tells me is that the Dallas Cowboys realized, hmm, we're not really going to get a quarterback we feel good about in this year's NFL draft. We're just going to commit to Dak Prescott. We're going to go all out and give Dak Prescott the tools he needs to succeed. Ezekiel Elliott, solid running game. Cole Beasley's a really good wide receiver. He's not a number one receiver. He's simply too small. But now you have Amari Cooper. Solid offensive line. Not as good as it used to be, but solid offensive line. Great running back and a pretty good wide receiver. A true number one wide receiver. The Cowboys are saying we're committing to Dak Prescott. And I like this move. Because here's the thing. Again, next year in the NFL draft, the Cowboys are not going to draft a wide receiver. Uh, Excuse me. The Cowboys are not going to draft a quarterback in next year's NFL draft. They were not going to find Dak Prescott's replacement next year, and now it's clear they're not because they traded away their first-round pick. So I think their mindset is, we're going to fully support Dak Prescott. We have two years till Tua Tungavaloa is coming out. We we have another year and a half, two years till Justin Herbert, you know, 2020s when Justin Herbert will come out in the NFL draft. Let's give Dak Prescott two years. Let's fully support Dak Prescott next year, see what happens. We got the rest of this year, and we got next year. If Dak Prescott still hasn't developed into something better by then, we can draft a quarterback. That's what I think is going on. The Cowboys are like, screw it. We're not going to get another guy. Let's commit to Dak and see what happens. I like that mindset. And you never know. They could still draft a Will Greer in the third, second round. Who knows? Maybe Jared Stidham drops, something like that. I think that will happen. I do think the Cowboys are going to draft a quarterback in next year's NFL draft. But I'm sure they've given up on drafting a first-round quarterback, clearly because they traded away their pick. Now, Amari Cooper has, his stats have dropped off, right? In 2015, he was a pro bowler. He was a pro bowler again in 2016. In both those seasons, he had over 1,000 yards receiving. He had six touchdowns in 2015, five touchdowns in 2016. And then last year, he kind of fell off a cliff, right? Only had 48 catches and 680 yards last season. Did not play all 16 games. Only started in 12, played in 14 games. Now, it's worth noting, Amari Cooper also did have his most touchdowns ever in a season, seven touchdowns. But there are some reasons why Amari Cooper's numbers dramatically dropped off from right around 100 catches down, or right around a lot, a lot more, lot fewer targets, fewer yards, less than 1,000 yards last year. More touchdowns, but just not as productive as a season as normal. 
there's a reason why Amari Cooper's stats dropped off. It's because, well, one, his quarterback, Derek Carr, last year was injured. That, that's a big deal. His quarterback, Derek Carr, hurt his back, couldn't stretch the field as much. It's not good. And then let's look at 2018. So first of all, his quarterback was hurt last year, didn't play all the games. Of course, you're going to struggle when your quarterback gets hurt because the guy throwing you the ball, you need him to be successful. Now in 2018, he's really slowed down. He's only got 22 catches so far this year, six games in. He does only one touchdown, 280 yards receiving, and it's not good. There's, why, why is Amari Cooper struggling so much this year? Part of it probably is because of John Gruden, the new coach. But Derek Carr has missed him a number of times. There have been times where Amari Cooper's wide open downfield and Derek Carr, the quarterback for the Raiders, simply misses him. Either he throws a bad throw or literally does not see Amari Cooper wide open down the field. That has happened multiple times. I've seen plays where the Raiders quarterback, Derek Carr, will throw the ball away even though Amari Cooper's standing wide open 60 yards away. It's like, dude, take a shot downfield. So I don't know. I think this trade is good for both sides. It's good for the Raiders, and it's good for the Cowboys. But if I had to pick a winner, I'd say that the Cowboys probably won this trade. The Cowboys got the star. I mean, yeah, the Raiders got a first-round pick. Woo! But we don't know if that first-round pick is actually going to turn into a good player. In fact, if I was the Raiders, I would turn around and trade all three of my first-round picks and flip it for better players because I like a sure bet. And honestly, a draft pick's kind of like a lottery pick. You don't know if that's going to turn into a great NFL player. The Cowboys, on the other hand, got a really solid number one wide receiver. Some people have called this move desperate. I think it's truly the Cowboys supporting their quarterback, Dak Prescott. Let's give Dak Prescott some help. We'll give him a number one receiver. Again, a running back. He's got Cole Beasley, a number two wide receiver who's really good. And Cole Beasley is going to be more productive now that Amari Cooper demands more attention. Having a number, a number one wide receiver is going to benefit everybody on the Cowboys roster. Because now if you play man-to-man, you can't, you can't double-team Cole Beasley underneath. you got to give Amari Cooper more attention because he can win over the top. He can beat corners. He can beat safeties. And so I really do think Amari Cooper, that trade by the Dallas Cowboys, that's a big, significant move. They're going to use him on play action. They're going to fake the run to Zeke, throw the ball over the top to Amari Cooper. They can come down to Cole Beasley. This is going to really help everybody on the Dallas Cowboys roster. And so I am declaring the Dallas Cowboys the winner of the Amari Cooper trade. I did mention something. I mentioned that it was reported. It was reported that the Oregon Ducks junior quarterback, Justin Herbert, is likely to be staying at Oregon and not going to enter the NFL draft at the end of this year. He's a junior now. He's going to stay, finish, play senior year next year. And it's interesting because if he goes to the NFL draft right now, Justin Herbert is likely a number one overall pick, if not a number one pick, because a lot of teams don't need quarterbacks. Justin Herbert is a top five pick. He's definitely probably the top quarterback picked in the NFL draft. And many people could not believe that he would turn down that opportunity. He's giving away millions of dollars. What if he gets hurt? Is this a big mistake? Ah, ah, ah. People are very dramatic and concerned about this move and this decision by Justin Herbert. When I heard that Justin Herbert was going to stay for his senior year, my brain immediately went to Matt Barkley, the former USC quarterback. Remember, Matt Barkley had a great junior year. He's a quarterback at USC. And if he goes to the NFL draft after his junior year, 
He's a top five pick. He would have been probably the number one pick or the number one quarterback selected in the NFL draft. And instead, Matt Barkley waited. He stayed for his senior year. His NFL draft stock dramatically dropped off and he was picked in the fourth round and lost out on millions and millions of dollars. And, uh, you know, I've heard Matt Barkley talk about this, never in person, always in video, but he talked about this with Larry King once. And Matt Barkley said, well, you can't ask what if. You know, what if I'd gone to the NFL and my old team USC won the national championship without me? Or what if I did stay in college and then I get hurt and I drop and then you just can't ask what if. You have to accept it and have a good year. And Matt Barkley said, I had a great time my senior year. It was fun. And I'm still an NFL quarterback. I play for the Bengals. That makes sense to me. And so the advice I would give Justin Herbert is, dude, who cares what anyone else says? Enjoy your senior year at Oregon. Get better at football. It matters. Because here's the thing. If you can play, you can play. If Justin Herbert's truly a franchise quarterback, it doesn't matter what happens his senior year. He's going to succeed somewhere. Whether you're picked number one overall, number 200 overall, if you can play, you can play, and you're going to get a chance in the league. Matt Barkley, again, no matter where Matt Barkley had been selected, he wasn't going to be a franchise quarterback. Maybe Matt Barkley would have left his junior year, fooled everybody, been a top five pick, and been a massive disappointment because, oh, Matt Barkley's not a franchise quarterback. Yes, he hurt his shoulder. That mattered his senior year. But if you're a good quarterback, you should not be afraid of your NFL draft stock dropping. Justin Herbert has nothing to be afraid of. He's a really good quarterback. He's still going to be a really good quarterback a year from now. And if he's not, if he struggles and shows a bunch of problems, well, he was never going to succeed in the NFL anyways. Like if, if Justin Herbert suddenly sucks, oh, well, then we just learned more that he probably isn't as good as we thought he was. I don't think that's going to happen. My prediction is Justin Herbert goes back to Oregon, gets a little bit better, refines his skills, and at some, at some point is an NFL franchise quarterback. But if you don't feel ready, you got to do what's best for you. If, if Justin Herbert does not think he's prepared enough for the NFL, he should go back to college. I just watched Justin Herbert live against Washington State. I was on the sideline. It was awesome. He had a really bad game against Washington State. In the first half, they were down 27 to nothing. Justin Herbert missed a bunch of weird throws, like wide to the right, totally out of bounds. I, I was like, man, Justin Herbert, that's your best? Like, I was so excited because I've known about Justin Herbert. I've been watching him on film all year. This was my opportunity to watch Justin Herbert live and in person, and he struggled. He wasn't as good as I thought. Um, and I think, honestly, that's his worst game he's had this year in college. And maybe Justin Herbert had that bad game against Washington State and said, hmm, I feel like I still have work to do. And I feel like Oregon still has improvement to do. I want to be there for my team so we can win a lot of games next year. And I want to get a little better at quarterback before I go to the NFL. I have no problem with that. There's no, I've, I've been offered jobs to leave college early. And I don't think, I think I, I could succeed, but I want to get the piece of paper. I want to finish. I'm having fun. I'm going to get better as the years go on. If I stay one more year in college as a broadcaster, get a little bit better and then graduate and then go do a radio gig, I'll be a year better. It matters. Why not be a year better? So I understand Justin Herbert. I respect his decision. And uh, I do not think he's making some massive mistake. If he can play, he can play, right? <laughs> you know, he's not going to, if he's a bad quarterback, he's always going to be a bad quarterback. Whether Matt Barkley was the first pick or the 200th pick, he wasn't going to be a franchise quarterback. And if Justin Herbert is a franchise quarterback, staying one more year in college is only going to help him.
So that's my opinion. I do not think Justin Herbert made a mistake. I want to now talk about the Cleveland Browns. You know, uh, <clears throat> the Cleveland Browns lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 26-23 to in overtime on Sunday. Now the Browns are 2-4-1. and one. And there are new rumors circulating. Ooh, should the Cleveland Browns fire their head coach, Hugh Jackson? No, no, no. I'm so, I, why do I have to keep defending Hugh Jackson? I don't understand. Have some patience. Jesus Christ. Come on, guys. Does nobody understand how something is built? You know, if I was building a house and I went there like day three, it was like, there's no house here. You'd be like, yeah, because we're building a house. It takes more than three days to build a house. You don't look at the Cleveland Browns after seven games and go, they're trash. Can't ever win. Give up. Fire Hugh Jackson. How about the fact we, we could look at it this way. The Cleveland Browns have been in four overtime games. And every single game the Browns have played, except for one, has been a one-score game. The Browns got blown up by the Chargers. Every other game has been within a score. Four overtime games. The Browns are battling and battling and fighting. They are playing highly competitive football. They're two, four, and one. They're not winning all their games, but they're in every single game. They're so close. The Browns are building something. Don't panic because they're 2-4-1. How about you look at it this way? The Browns were 0-16 last year. You know how far they are from 0-16 right now? Yeah, you could say 2-4-1. They've got two wins, but they're a different team. They're battling. They're changing the culture. No, the Cleveland Browns should not fire Hugh Jackson. Give the guy a little bit of patience. If you're going to be patient through 1-31 and in two years, how about you give him some patience now when he's really actually playing good football? They're playing well. They're in the games. They're close. Give them some time. Have some patience. I don't understand. It's like <laughs> you swim halfway across the lake, and then you get another three-fourths, and you're like, oh, let's give up now. You're so close. The Browns have come all this way, done all this work, really developed their organization, and now you're going to give up because they have lost four, three really close games and got blown out in one? That's fine. I don't understand. I, I would not fire Hugh Jackson. The Cleveland Browns are fighting Really hard for their head coach. Showing up, highly competitive, it, it matters. And then you watch Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield excites me so much. Here's why. Baker Mayfield statistically is not having a great year. He's fine. He's solid. He's a rookie quarterback. But he's not lighting it up. He's not Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady. But there was a run, a 30-yard run that Baker, it was like a 30-yard run, something like that. There was a play against... Um, the Buccaneers on Sunday. Baker Mayfield has like a 30-yard run. He kind of weaves around from the right back across to the left. He gets down, he gets hit, and he gets up and gets right in the defender's face. They're barking at each other. They're yelling at each other. It's awesome. I loved it. And after that happened, guys started running a little bit harder. Uh, the, you could see the Browns playing with a little bit more passion after Baker Mayfield had that play. The Browns' teammates, Baker's teammates, Notice his passion. They notice that spirit. He's got an attitude to battle. He's like Braveheart. He just, he's a warrior. And that leaks out to the rest of the Cleveland Browns. And on Sunday, we saw that the Browns fought, scratched, clawed back to make the game 23-23, forcing overtime. Yeah, the Browns lost on Sunday. They lost an overtime game with like two minutes left in overtime. 
but they battled, they fought. They're not laying over. They're working really hard for their coach. They have hope. They're playing with passion. The Browns are building something. It's day three of building a house. Like, hello, Rome wasn't built in a day. This house was not built in three days. Relax. Give the Browns some time and some patience. They're improving every week. They're playing highly competitive football. You just need to step back and get out of the way. Let the Browns build. It's like a little plant. You're building a plant in a pot. Let it struggle. Let it grow. Don't put a ceiling on it. Let the Browns grow and get better like they are doing. Slowly but surely, the Cleveland Browns are getting better. It's working. Relax. Don't fire Hugh Jackson, the head coach. Give it some time. Let it develop. And if you do, the Browns could turn into something special. But to say, let's fire Hugh Jackson at 2-4-1, and one, guys, come on. It would be different if they were getting blown out in every single game they played. If their 2-4-1 and one was two wins, four blowouts, and a tie, that'd be different. But every game they lost, except for the Chargers, has been incredibly competitive within a score. They lose right at the end. It's always a close game. I would relax. Let the Browns keep getting better. Let them keep improving. Oh, man. Uh, People often ask me this question. People often ask me, do you think the Browns made the right decision by picking Baker Mayfield instead of Sam Darnold, the number one overall pick? Should the Browns have drafted Sam Darnold? That's the question a lot of people ask me. And I think they're asking the wrong question. If you haven't noticed, the NFL draft is over. It is a long time ago. And if you're watching football every week, you can see, oh, hmm, well, Baker Mayfield can play football. And so can Sam Darnold. They're both solid quarterbacks. I think you're asking the wrong question. The question is, will the Browns develop Baker Mayfield? Stop worrying about Sam Darnold. That's over. 15 years from now, when we look back on the 2018 NFL draft, when we look back on this time 15 years from now, we look back on Sam Darnold's career, we look back on Baker Mayfield's career. If Sam Darnold succeeds in the NFL and Baker Mayfield does not, if Sam Darnold has a great, wonderful career, wins Super Bowls, and Baker Mayfield never makes the playoffs, has kind of a rough career, I will not be one of the people who says, yeah, The Browns should have drafted Sam Darnold instead of Baker Mayfield. I promise right now, you could hold me to this, I will not be one of the people who can say that. Because right now, Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield are in the exact same place. And now the question is, it's on the Browns to develop Baker Mayfield. They need to help Baker Mayfield improve, give him good players around him, good wide receivers, an offensive line. That's most important. You need to give Baker Mayfield an offensive line, and you need to give him good coaching. Those two things, coaching, Offensive line and a defense. If you can give Baker Mayfield those three things, he's going to develop, get better, and win a lot of games. I don't know. I just, I'm tired of that question. I'm getting worn out by that question. People are like, you know, should the Browns have picked Sam Darnold? Who cares? It's over. It's gone. It, both, you have a good quarterback. Stop worrying about Sam Darnold. Stop looking at the grass over there. Eat the grass right in front of you. It's good enough. So can you buy a house? And you're like, oh, you know, we should have bought that house right there. You have a house. Make your house better. Enjoy your house you have. I don't know. Like the, the whole Baker Mayfield versus Sam Darnold thing, that narrative for me is over. It's done. Sam Darnold can play really well. So can Baker Mayfield. They're both rookies. They both need to improve. The question now is, 
I just, I don't know. Stop asking if the Browns made the right decision with Baker Mayfield. The question you need to ask now is, will the Browns develop Baker Mayfield? That is the honest question you need to ask. Stop worrying about Sam Darnold if you're a Browns fan. Worry about Baker Mayfield. And are the Browns going to develop their quarterback, Baker Mayfield? <clears throat> I got more in me. You know, we have, we're... I'm at a point where I could take a break. I'm just going to keep going. I feel good. I'm happy. I want to talk now about the Washington Redskins. The Redskins are now 4-2. and two. They're first in the AFC, NFC East. They just beat the Dallas Cowboys. The Washington Redskins are in a really good place. First in their division, 4-2, and two, having a good year so far. And I want you to look back, if you're a, whether you're a Redskins fan or not, Think back to the moment this offseason when the Washington Redskins traded for Alex Smith. They said, we're not going to re-sign Kirk Cousins. Instead, we're going to commit to Alex Smith, the former Chiefs quarterback. It was an interesting decision because a lot of people said, well, are you really upgrading? Maybe, maybe not. Right now, at 4-2, and two, first in the NFC East, it looks like the Washington Redskins not only upgraded at quarterback, they made the right move. Alex Smith right now has a 62% completion percentage, throwing for 1,383 yards, seven touchdowns, two interceptions. But the key is the Redskins are no longer losing games solely because of their quarterback. Yes, the Redskins got blown out on Monday Night Football. That's not all Alex Smith. The defense played, everyone played bad in that game. But what you won't have is bonehead interceptions at the end of the game. You won't have Kirk Cousins kneeling instead of spiking the ball. Issues like that, weird little, weird idiosyncrasies that Kirk Cousins has, you're not going to see them anymore because you have Alex Smith, who I think right now looks like an upgrade. Yes, Kirk Cousins is playing the best football of his entire life, but he did not play that way with the Redskins. And right now, 4-2, and two, the Redskins look like they made the right decision. I mean, last year the Redskins were 7-9, and nine, third in the NFC East. If they finish first, it's because of Alex Smith, because of that move they made. I think it's cool. Now, it is worth noting that with the Kansas City Chiefs last year, Alex Smith started really hot. They started 5-0. and And then they tapered off, lost four games in a row in November and December, and ultimately finished 10-6. and Are we going to see a repeat of that? Are we going to see the Redskins start really hot 4-2 and and then taper off? I think that's actually pretty likely. You know, you got Adrian Peterson, an aging running back. Alex Smith, who has a, a history of that. So you can, on one hand, say, well, maybe... The Redskins are going to taper off at the end of the year. On the other hand, though, you could say, well, Alex Smith is 34 years old. And for quarterbacks, 34 is basically the new 28. I mean, 34 is not as old as it once was for an NFL quarterback. And I personally believe there's a lot of good football ahead for Alex Smith. I like what he's doing. And he's actually, I think, improving week to week. He's getting a little bit better. You, you got to give Alex Smith a little bit of a break. His first year, a couple years in the league, he had bad coaching and kind of as a late bloomer because he never really had the coaching he needed. The guys that are also in his quarterback class are a little bit ahead of him because he, he had like five lost years at the beginning of his career and just weren't any good. He was getting screwed over. And so, I mean, Alex Smith is still improving and I don't know what to make of it. I'm, I'm just more just cautiously curious. Is Alex Smith and the Redskins, are they going to keep it up? Or are they going to taper off and let the Eagles steal the division from them? I don't know what's going to happen, but right now, 
it looks like the Washington Redskins made the right decision by committing to Alex Smith rather than Kirk Cousins. How about Adrian Peterson, by the way? Adrian Peterson, the Redskins running back, has he's impressed me. I mean, he's done some really good things this year. He's got 438 yards rushing, averaging 4.3 yards per carry. He's got three touchdowns. He's in the top 10 in NFL in rushing at 33 years old. He's number nine in rushing in the NFL. That's cool, man. I mean, good for Adrian Peterson. My only question is, is it going to go away? Is he going to keep this up? Because again, he's 33 years old. Can he maintain this same level of play? If he can, if Adrian Peterson can maintain a high level of play, the Redskins are going to go a lot farther down the road. It helps the Redskins tremendously having Adrian Peterson, a solid running back, who they used. Remember, they used him to replace Darius Geis, the rookie running back who tore his ACL in the preseason. It was sad. It was heartbreaking. But again, this is Adrian Peterson's 12th year in the NFL. 12 years taking shots, getting beat down, getting nailed. And Adrian Peterson is a guy with an injury history. Last year at a season-ending injury playing for the Arizona Cardinals. I think it's interesting to see. Will Adrian Peterson keep it up? They have 10 games left. And, uh, you know, November 22nd against the Dallas Cowboys. That is going to be a bruising, tough game, a battle. And uh, I'm still not convinced that Adrian Peterson is going to keep it up through November and December. In those tough months, it gets a little bit colder. You, you get, you're, you're worn down from weeks and weeks of getting beat up. And I'm not convinced yet. In fact, I, I'm never going to be convinced. Until week 13, that Adrian Peterson is playing. Until I see it with my own eyes. I'm not going to have faith that Adrian Peterson is going to play all 16 games at the same level he's playing right now. I just, I think at some point he's going to taper off. I hope I'm wrong. It would be cool to see the Washington Redskins win that division. I like Alex Smith. I like Jay Gruden, the coach. But I just don't see that being sustainable. Maybe I'm wrong. Hope I'm wrong. But my prediction is Adrian Peterson in late November, early December. His level of play is going to dramatically taper off. And maybe he even gets injured and ends his season. Need some water. I need some water, everybody. See, we're 37 minutes in, which means we're probably like at 34, because that took a long time to get started. I hit it, record and everything, and sat there. And I'm just like, what are we going to do next? And I looked at my long list of 20 topics. Wherever it is, somewhere here. There it is. <clears throat> so we, let's go from the Redskins now. Let's shift our attention to the Philadelphia Eagles. So on Sunday... The Philadelphia Eagles lost to the Carolina Panthers 21-7. And it was a ridiculous fourth quarter comeback. Um, the, the short way to say it, the truth is honestly that the Eagles blew it. I mean, the Eagles simply blew this game. <laughs> the Eagles won seven, uh, sorry, excuse me. The Eagles led in this game 17 to nothing in the fourth quarter and still managed to lose this game. They just imploded many times, multiple times on multiple levels. The Eagles simply imploded and blew this game completely. I mean, first of all, you gave up a big lead. So you had, you, you're up 17 to nothing. And then the Panthers fight back, make it 17 to 14. But then all you got to do is run the clock out, run the ball a little bit, 
close out this game, and the Eagles simply were unable to do that. So with two minutes left, the Panthers scored a touchdown. They were now up 17-21. to And the Eagles compounded their mistake and made it even worse. So the Eagles are down 21-17, but they have the ball. They're driving. They drive all the way into the Panthers' red zone. And then it takes them to fourth and two. They're down four points. They can't kick a field goal. Had to go for it on fourth and two. Couldn't get it. Lose the ball game. Blew a 17-0 fourth quarter lead to the Carolina Panthers. It's just, man, they couldn't execute. They couldn't finish the game. They couldn't close out. Three different levels they lost. First, they gave up a big lead. Then they couldn't hold the small lead, 14-7. to And then they couldn't come back when they had an opportunity to win the game late. They couldn't make it happen. The Eagles blew it all around on every phase. And that is why they lost 21-17. to It's embarrassing for the Eagles. It's not a good look. They dominated that game for three and a half quarters. And then in that half of the fourth quarter, blew the game completely. Lost three, gave up three touchdowns. Couldn't win the game. It's a sad, embarrassing day to be an Eagles fan. Okay, I think this will probably be the last thing I talk about before I take a break. Uh, We'll start next segment with Washington State versus Oregon. Uh, I want to talk about Cam Newton, though. The Carolina Panthers are 4-2. They're second in the NFC South. And, uh, I mean, they're in a great position to either at least win the division or, if nothing else, make the playoffs with getting a wild card spot. The Panthers are really in a great place. And I think it's maybe the most underreported narrative in the entire NFL is Cam Newton's improvement. Look at the way Cam Newton is playing right now. It is, he's playing so, so much better football than he has in the past. You know, this offseason, the Carolina Panthers hired a new offensive coordinator, Norv Turner. And uh, I'll be honest, I was skeptical. I didn't believe it. I didn't really buy it. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Maybe this is going to work. You know, you're, yeah, you're bringing in a new offense. You really think you're going to change Cam Newton in like his eighth season in the NFL? Yeah. The Panthers have changed Cam Newton. The Panthers have evolved Cam Newton and made him an even better quarterback. He looks more calculated. He looks more precise. Here's the stat I'm really, really excited about if I'm watching Cam Newton. He's not leading the NFL in passing. I looked. He's in like the top 15 on every category. But... This is the highest completion percentage Cam Newton has ever had in an NFL season. He's throwing with a 65% completion percentage, a whole 5% better. He's usually around 59, 60%, usually 59, 58, a little bit lower than 60. He's at 65. It's a big deal. He's completing more passes. He's playing more efficient. Cam Newton very quietly is having a great, wonderful year at quarterback. He's the reason why the Panthers are 4-2. and two. And and nobody's talking about it. Nobody. It's like, man, I want to tip my cap to Cam Newton. You have have dramatically improved. And we'll see. Like, maybe Cam Newton completely tapers off. He's going to maybe struggles in the second half of the year. I mean, November's coming. Winter, as they say in Game of Thrones, winter is coming. But I, I actually believe in Cam Newton. I think in November and December, as it gets colder... As the weather gets rougher, games get a little more physical, a little more intense. I think Cam Newton's going to keep it up. I, I, I buy Cam Newton for the first time ever. I, I am actually a, a Cam Newton believer because 
He's making great decisions with the football. He's playing a lot cleaner than he has in the past. 11 touchdowns, four interceptions. He's making good reads, making good decisions with the ball. He's not forcing it downfield. He's no longer. See, the thing with Cam Newton, the narrative around Cam Newton has always been. Cam Newton has been a home run hitter his entire career. He's not a guy who can pick you apart for 12 play drives, for nine play drives, 79 yards. He's a guy that does like three play drives. He'll throw a 46-yard touchdown pass, a 76-yard bomb. Cam Newton in the past has scored with big plays. Now Cam Newton is dramatically changing what he's doing, and he's being a lot more precise, have, playing a little bit longer drives, and I'm really impressed. I think Cam Newton is evolving and maturing and getting better as a quarterback. And I credit North Turner, the new offensive coordinator the Panthers hired. No one's talking about it. It's an underreported story. And uh, tip a cap to Cam Newton. We'll see if he keeps it going. November's coming. December's coming. Those are tough months to play quarterback in the NFL. But right now, Cam Newton is playing really dramatically better football, more precise, more accurate. I don't know, more calculated. And I'm very impressed with Cam Newton. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about Washington State. I made a prediction last week. I I predicted that Oregon was going to beat Washington State, and I was wrong. That'll be fun. We'll talk about that. I rarely talk about Washington State football, but when they're good, it's easy to talk about. I love them. I'm a big fan. I worked at the game. It was awesome. We're going to talk about uh, the Giants. Should the Giants have drafted someone else? Of course, but I'm not going where you think. Saquon Barkley, I think, was a mistake, but we'll talk about even more why it was a mistake. We're going to talk about Blake Bortles getting benched. The Jacksonville Jaguars got into a fight in the locker room. We're going to talk about the fight the Lakers got into. Talk about Ohio State, World Series, college football top 10. We got a lot of stuff to talk about, and that's all coming up. My name is Zach Schalmer. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. A um, little bit different structure to the show today. I, uh, I just said I, I put 20 topics down, and I was like, I'm just going to talk about it. I'm just going to go. Um, I'll tell you what I think. I, it's a normal thing, but it's a little less scripted, a lot more just I have like brief little bullet points. Um, I think it's going better, though. I, I like this format. A little more natural. Um, I hope you guys like it. You probably don't even notice a difference. That'd be really cool, but it was way less work to prepare the show today, so... Um, yeah, that, that sounds awesome to me. I mean, I know, I know the things I want to say. I don't need to write down what I'm going to say. I can say what I'm going to say and have it in my head. Uh, I want to talk now about Washington state football. So on Saturday, uh, Washington state university beat Oregon. Uh, and it was awesome. It was, it was a game I was at. I go to Washington state. It was a ton of fun, but I want to talk about something because I predicted Oregon to win the game and I, I was wrong. I'm okay with that. I mean, first of all, again, I'm a student at Washington State. I stormed the field. I had fun. I loved it. It was great. Uh, but the second thing is that this, you know, I, a goal on my show is to be interesting. My goal has always been, my, my kind of mantra has been, I care more about being interesting than being right. I make a bunch of predictions, and if I'm wrong, it's, it's okay. It's like, yeah, that's all right. I'll live. And some people ask me, you know, do you want to be interesting, Zach? Does that mean you're clickbaity? No. Here's what I mean when I say I want to be interesting. If you're going to listen to me talk for one of my five-minute segments, I want you to be entertained and informed and have it be worth your time. What I don't want to do is put out 
Maybe all my predictions are totally right 100% of the time. But they're not interesting. They tell a boring story. That I don't want to waste five minutes of your life. If I'm going to take five minutes of your life, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be informative and entertaining. That's my goal. That's what I do. My goal is to be interesting. Not clickbait. Clickbait, clickbait is deception. I don't deceive you. I tell you what it is. Um, I just, you know, I, I picked Oregon. And I was wrong. That's okay. So why was I wrong? <laughs> why did that happen? I have a belief. I do think I had a good read on this game. I was around the game all week. I have friends on both side, uh, both sides of this game. Friends at Oregon. Friends at Washington State. Um, and for Washington State, this game was like the Super Bowl. I mean, college game day. ESPN's college game day came into town. I was on set. I was working it. Ton of fun. This game meant a lot to Washington State. And on the other side, Oregon, this was just another game for them. And I was right about that. I was right that Washington State really hyped this game up. And Oregon was a little less overwhelmed, a little less overcome by the situation. But I attributed it wrong. I knew I had the right read in the game. My prediction was wrong because I predicted that the big atmosphere, the big game feel was actually going to hurt Washington State. And instead of overwhelming Washington State, I think it actually carried them to victory. It helped them. That big moment, they rose up to the situation and played a little better. I mean, at halftime, Washington State led the game 27 to nothing. And at times in the first half, Oregon's offense looked lackadaisical. They looked not ready. They just did not look like they were all there. I mean, the number one quarterback in the nation, Justin Herbert, looked off. He didn't play very well. I don't know. I think it's interesting. First of all, it's interesting that two years in a row, a number one quarterback in the nation, Sam Darnold last year and Justin Herbert this year, they come to Washington State, they go home with a loss. I mean, that, that's interesting as well. But after this game, I think the question has been, could Washington State, are they like a legit, really good football team? I think yes. I think they have earned the right to be considered. Maybe Washington State could actually win the Pac-12. In, in recent years, people have said, this is Washington State's year. And it, I never bought it because I was not a, a big fan of Luke Falk. I wasn't as big a fan of Luke Falk as other people were. I, I just I saw him or I was around him. He didn't have the same moxie. He didn't have the same presence in big moments. The difference for Washington State this year is their quarterback, Gardner Minshew, is a guy who can rise up. They're 6-1. and one. They just beat Oregon. They got to beat Stanford next week. And then the big game of the year for the Washington State will be the Apple Cup against University of Washington. If all those things go well, Washington State could actually win a Pac-12 championship. It's you know they got to beat Stanford, got to beat Cal. No, did they play Cal? Who I think they played Cal already. I don't know. I'm out of it. I don't know. I don't care. But they must. They must beat UW at the end of the year, and they must beat Stanford. But again, the difference for Washington State this year has been Gardner Minshew. His pocket presence, the way he moves and slides in the pocket, pressure does not deter Gardner Minshew. Luke Falk would have taken a lot of sacks last year that Gardner Minshew has slipped away from, avoided, and thrown the ball downfield. That's a big difference for Gardner Minshew. He's also a playmaker with his eyes and his shoulders. A lot of guys you hear, you know, Lamar Jackson, the uh, former quarterback for Louisville, he was a playmaker with his legs. He ran around and just made giant, had giant like 45, 50-yard runs. He made plays with his legs. Or you watched Josh Allen last year for Wyoming. That guy made plays with his arm. He threw throws that nobody else could throw. Gardner Minshew does not have the same tools as Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. Does not have a huge elite arm. Has a solid arm, but not Patrick Mahomes. 
And he does not have the speed of Lamar Jackson, but uh, Gardner Minshew has that a lot of people aren't talking about is his ability to make plays with his eyes and with his shoulders. Move, he'll point his shoulder left, he'll move his safety, flip back, throw the ball to the right. He is really, really good at manipulating defenses with his eyes, with his shoulders, as well as extending plays and staying alive in the pocket. Those two traits are why I think actually Washington State could win the Pac-12 championship this year. I didn't buy it last year. I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't believe in Luke Falk. I believe in Gardner Minshew. He's a difference maker. He's a big deal. He's a reason why Washington State could go from just a normal 6-1 and team that they're, they're going to lose to Stanford or UW at some point. Gardner Minshew is a difference between losing those two big games and beating Stanford and beating UW at home and maybe winning the Pac-12 championship. That is why I think Washington State's a different team than last year. It's because of Gardner Minshew, their quarterback. <clears throat> I want to now go back to the 2018 NFL Draft. In the NFL Draft, the New York Giants selected Saquon Barkley number two overall. They made two decisions when they did that. They first, they drafted a running back. But second, they also made a statement. We are committing to our quarterback, Eli Manning. I think a huge mistake. I think this was a massive, massive mismanagement and, and bad general manager work by Dave Gettleman. The Giants should have drafted Sam Darnold with a number two overall pick or Josh Rosen or Josh Allen. The Giants needed a quarterback. They do not have a quarterback right now. And and here's the thing. You could have drafted Sam Darnold number two overall and still gotten a high quality running back. That's the most painful part of this whole story. You want a running back? Okay. In the second round draft, carry on Johnson, the running back from Auburn. Instead, the Giants got Eli Manning and Saquon Barkley. Great. A combination that doesn't win games. Congratulations. I don't know, man. Look, look at Eli Manning right now. Eli Manning has a 68% completion percentage, 1,662 yards, six touchdowns, and four interceptions. Not awful. And if, if you compare that to Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold has a 56% completion percentage, 1,552 yards, 10 touchdowns, but also 10 interceptions, right? That's, they're, they're fairly close. I, I think you can, they're comparable. I'm sure Eli Manning's fumbles make up for the interceptions Sam Darnold has thrown. They're comparable with yards, completion percentage, and with turnovers. Here's the big difference, though. Eli Manning is 37 years old. Sam Darnold, 21 years old. They're at the same place, and yet Sam Darnold has years to developing it better where Eli Manning's on the downswing. His career is ending. Oh, and by the way, Sam Darnold's team is 3-4 and four with not a lot of offensive weapons and a solid defense, I guess, but not good wide receivers. In fact, they just released Terrell Pryor, one of the better wide receivers for the New York Jets. Not a great running back. Oh, but the Giants, they have Odell Beckham Jr., a great wide receiver, and oh, Saquon Barkley, a fantastic running back. What's their record? Oh, oh, the Giants are 1-5. Probably 1-6 after they lose to the Falcons tonight. All right. Yeah, you should have gotten with Sam Darnold. Even if they're the same right now, in two years from now, Eli Manning's out of the league, and Sam Darnold's a lot better than he is right now. How about Saquon Barkley? So you drafted Saquon Barkley. That's great, right? He's got 438 yards rushing, averaging 5.2 yards per carry, has four touchdowns. He's also a good wide receiver. 
Saquon Barkley has 40 catches for 373 yards. It's around 700-something, 800-something yards of offense. That's, that's a big deal. Like Saquon Barkley has tremendously given a lot to this offense. He has, what's the word, contributed to this offense tremendously. But you look at Kerryon Johnson, who is not as good as Saquon Barkley, but Kerryon Johnson was a second-round pick. I think he was picked 43rd overall. He went to the Lions. Kerryon Johnson has 444 yards rushing, has a touchdown, averages 6.8 yards per carry. Now, he only has 15 catches for 89 yards. He's not the same running back as Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley's a much better wide receiver. He's better catching the ball, a little bigger, a little stockier. But Kerryon Johnson, been a highly productive running back in his rookie year. My point is this. You could have gotten a quarterback and a running back in last year's NFL draft. And the Giants, for whatever reason, did not have the foresight to think they could do that. It's like they didn't see the eight running backs that were drafted behind Saquon Barkley and go, yeah, none of them can do anything in the NFL. Well, Nick Chubb, starting for the Browns. Kerryon Johnson, starting for the Lions. Having a starting rookie running back is not that dramatic and incredible as it once was. Ronald Jones is playing a bunch for the Buccaneers. I think he was a fourth-round pick. Hello? Saquon Barkley wasn't worth it. You should have gotten a quarterback. And you, what's interesting is you could have gotten both a quarterback and a running back, but you didn't. Saquon's better than Kerryon Johnson, but they're close. And what you did now is you're not going to get Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert just said, I'm going to go back to Oregon. And so now the Giants are going to get stuck with Drew Locke, who I don't think is as good a quarterback as everyone believes in. I don't know. You're stuck with Drew Locke. I hope you like that. Because Saquon Barkley is amazing, but the Giants need a quarterback. They could have had a quarterback and a running back, and they decided to pick Saquon Barkley instead. I love Saquon. Maybe he's a Hall of Fame running back. Maybe, maybe not. But a Hall of Fame running back, sorry, that doesn't necessarily win you games. Barry Sanders, Hall of Fame running back. Oh, did he? No, no. in an NFL-centric and a running-centric league. See, the NFL's changed. When Barry Sanders was playing, at least running backs had a lot more of a impact on the game. Now, running backs don't have any impact on the game, even now. So it's even worse now than it was when Barry Sanders was playing. And Barry Sanders never, I don't think he ever won a playoff game. And if he did, it was like one. But yeah, Barry Sanders, if you can have a Hall of Fame running back like Barry Sanders and not win a lot, Saquon Barkley, not the same. You should have gone with Sam Darnold and Kerryon Johnson. That should not be that controversial. I know people, some people will be mad. But I know that a lot of Giants fans are starting to agree with me. Drafting Saquon Barkley was a mistake by the New York Giants. Got to slow down. I got to just take a deep breath. Relax. We're good. Let's hang out. I want to now talk about Blake Bortles. Got all fired up in that segment. On Sunday... On Sunday against the Texans, Blake Bortles, the Jaguars quarterback, was benched. He was 6 for 12, 61 yards passing, had two fumbles, and at that point, Doug Marone said, I'm done. I'm tired of Blake Bortles. You're done. And they brought in Cody Kessler, the backup quarterback. Yeah, yeah, Doug Marone benched Blake Bortles for Cody Kessler. Think about that for a minute. Cody Kessler was playing more than Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles got benched for Cody Kessler, who came in the game and had a good game. 
Kessler was 21 for 30 passing, 156 yards, had a touchdown, did have an interception. And he also had a fumble, but he didn't lose the fumble, so had fewer turnovers than Blake Bortles. I don't know, man. The Jaguars lost to the Texans 20-7. to And it was ugly. And the thing I've been calling for all year, I said, please, move on from Blake Bortles. It finally happened. And I don't know that it's permanent. But for this game, it's, it's pretty clear. Like, you think that people defending Blake Bortles, he's our quarterback long-term, he should be our guy. Yeah, Doug Marone doesn't agree with you anymore. It's, pretty, it's becoming more and more clear. Blake Bortles is the reason. He's limiting the Jaguars. He's the reason they're not winning games. And it's really frustrating to watch because the Jaguars do have a good roster. They're not top five in the NFL, but sorry, they're not the best roster in the NFL. But they're a really good roster that deserves to be winning a lot more games than their quarterback is allowing for. I remember when uh, people said the Jaguars should trade for Eli Manning. I said, no, 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 don't do that. That was my opinion. My opinion was, if you bring Eli Manning to the Jacksonville Jaguars, it's going to hurt the Jaguars because Eli Manning's less mobile than Blake Bortles. Well, what I saw on Sunday was Blake Bortles was needlessly immobile. (laughs) He had plenty of time in the pocket, and he'd sit there, panic, and run for no reason. And I watched on Sunday and thought, man, Eli Manning could succeed in that offense. I watched Blake Bortles get nervous, panic, run around, and leave a good, clean pocket where there was a lot of time to throw. And thought, oh, wow. For the first time I've ever watched the Jaguars, I thought, Eli Manning could have won that game because he would have had time to throw and would have succeeded. I'm now far more in favor of trading for Eli Manning than I once was. Looks like the locker room's kind of moving away from Blake Bortles as their quarterback. He's lost their good faith. So, I don't know. I, I finally support the trade for Eli Manning for the Jaguars' perspective. Now, apparently, after the game... Apparently, after losing to the Houston Texans 20-17, to the Jacksonville Jaguars got into a fight in their locker room. I mean, they're 3-4. and four. They're third in the AFC South. My guess is the Jaguars are just really disappointed. They're upset. And they had expectations up here, and they're not meeting their expectations. I don't know. Last year, the Jaguars were 10-6. and six. And there were a couple reasons for that. First, Deshaun Watson got hurt, and Andrew Luck was out for the year. Last season, the Jaguars kind of had a cakewalk. And then they had a really good game. They beat the Steelers. That raised expectations even more. And people thought, oh, the Jaguars, they're a Super Bowl contender. Their chefs all puffed out. Well, the Jaguars have been brought back down to reality. A harsh one, a painful one. Jaguars are a really good team. But their quarterback, Blake Bortles, is not improving. And he's not good enough. That's why I believe the Jaguars got into a fight in the locker room. They're disappointed. And dealing with disappointment hurts. Getting broken up with when you like the girl and you think you might marry her, that hurts. And having your favorite car wrecked when you love your car, you just bought it, that hurts. Disappointment is hard to deal with. Getting fired from a job you love, disappointing, that hurts. And having a bad start to your season when you're expecting to maybe win the Super Bowl hurts. You're three and four. Your quarterback's playing like trash. He got benched. Yes, tensions are going to rise over. I think that the 
Jaguars might have had unhelpful expectations. Their expectations were up here when they're really like a, a 10 and 6, 9 and 7 team. Anybody who believed the Jaguars were going to go 13 and 3 was a fool. That was never going to happen. Your quarterback is not good enough for your team to go 13 and 3. I think the Jaguars right now, their locker room's dealing with disappointment. I understand. I've been disappointed. I feel that. Uh, but. Man, I feel really, I just feel sad for the Jaguars. I think their unhelpful expectations are dividing their locker room and really significantly hurting them. They were not a team in contention to go 13 and 3, but I think their locker room thought they were. That hurts a lot. That's a big reason why the Jaguars are struggling so much and why there's turmoil in their locker room. So let's now shift from a locker room fight to a court, a, a fight on the court in the NBA. I was watching the Lakers and the Rockets, and uh, man, they got into a fight. I had two TVs on. It was awesome. Lakers, uh, Lakers game, football game was on, and uh, <laughs> Lakers-Rockets got into a fight. Brandon Ingram, Rajon Rondo, Chris Paul, they all got ejected. There were suspensions were issued even. Brandon Ingram is out for four games. Rajon Rondo's out for three games. Chris Paul's out for two games. I loved every minute of it. I'm a fan of this. I'm not, I'm not condoning fighting. I'm not a fan of fighting in basketball. But what I loved was the passion, the aggression that we saw from the Lakers. And, you know, I'll be honest. I don't like James Harden. <laughs> because the whole thing came off of a foul called on Brandon Ingram against James Harden. And I hate the way James Harden plays basketball. Basically, all of James Harden's points come off of going, eh, like he'll, he'll flop. He'll take a foul. And shoot a bunch of free throws. He'll make like 20 points off free throws in a game. It's irritating to me. Because it's weak. It's wimpy. It's, I respect the hustle. Like, I respect James Harden found a loophole in the system. Found a way to succeed. But it drives me nuts. It's like, that's not a foul, you wimp. I, I felt for Brandon Ingram. Because Brandon Ingram and Rajon Rondo, when they got in that fight against the Rockets, they were just reacting the way I felt. I was like, ah, I hate that. Why does James Harden always get fouls called? Brandon Ingram shoved James Harden, yelled at the ref, got right in the ref's face, got a technical. And then Rajon Rondo didn't back down from Chris Paul. I like all of it. Here's a couple reasons why I like that. I like the passion the Lakers showed. Again, I don't condone fighting in basketball. But I like the message that the Lakers sent against the Rockets. Brandon Ingram, for the first time in his career, the first time I've ever watched Brandon Ingram, saw some passion, I saw some fight. And not just punching and pushing. I like a, a different Brandon Ingram that's there to show up and fight for the win. That's cool. I like that. Because we're all hoping. If you're a Lakers fan, I'm not even a Lakers fan. I'm a guy who wants Lakers to be interesting. People rooting for that are hoping Brandon Ingram progresses and gets better for the Lakers. This is the time we need to see Brandon Ingram have a breakout year. I also loved what I saw from Rajon Rondo. That guy's a scrappy guy. He's a scrappy leader. I, I want a physical and passionate Lakers team. I was not bothered by that fight. I saw people, it's a disgrace to the Lakers' name. Shut up. Go away. I want to see the big, bad Lakers bully people, push them around, get into some tussles. I like that. It's LeBron's team, and Rajon Rondo's there for a purpose. Rajon Rondo's a scrappy leader that brings an edge. If you get Brandon Ingram to play with some dog, to have some passion, have some fight, I like that. That's what Rajon Rondo brings to the table that maybe LeBron doesn't, is that 
attitude, that aggression. And I'm okay with that. I don't like fighting. I don't like throwing punches on a basketball court. A little pushing, a little bit of elbows. That passion, that aggression that Rajan Rondo brings is something I like. I have no problem with what I saw against the Rockets from the L.A. Lakers. I'm okay with that. I don't like that. I hope it never happens again. I don't want to see the Lakers get into fights every night. But that first one sets the message for the rest of the year. We're here. We're big. We're bad. We're tough. Don't mess with us. We are the L.A. Lakers. I'm Rajon Rondo. I'm Brandon Ingram. Don't mess with me. I'm okay with that. You get one free pass. You get one fight, and I'll be like, yeah, it's fine. Second and third fights, I go, okay, stop. Can we stop fighting on the basketball court? Can we actually play basketball? But this one, I'm okay with that. Now, before we go to break, let's talk about the World Series. Because on, it was finally made possible. It was finally made clear. When I found out, when I found out that the Dodgers and the Red Sox were going to be playing each other in the World Series, I was ecstatic. I was so excited, so happy. This is the World Series I've been rooting for since the playoffs began. I haven't done a single breakout in baseball because it's hard to cover. I buried at the end of my show. But if you followed my show and listened to the whole podcast, you know I've been waiting for, I've been begging, I've been hoping we would get the Dodgers and the Red Sox in the World Series. Two historic, legendary baseball franchises, the Dodgers and the Red Sox. That's all I wanted. I don't care who wins. <laughs> I don't, I, I, my, my rooting as a fan is over. I rooted for the Red Sox, and I rooted for the Dodgers. Now that they're together, I don't care. All I want now is drama. I hope it goes seven games, like extra innings, wins with a walk-off, something like that. I am now rooting for drama as a fan of baseball because when baseball gets to the playoffs, it's so good. It is so good. Every pitch. Because for me, in July, you know, White Sox and Indians, I can't sit through a 25-pitch at bat. I just get bored, get on my phone, I start doing other things. But in October, in the playoffs, in the World Series, that 25-pitch at bat is mesmerizing. Because you got a runner on second, and it's intense. There's two outs. You need a run to win, and that guy on a base hit could make it to home plate. That at bat suddenly becomes so much more interesting and so much more intense. When baseball matters, oh, I love it. I do. I'm not a big baseball guy all year because it's boring to me. But if you give me a, a reason to care, it matters. Who wins and losses matter. The playoffs with baseball are so good. So, so good. And I am ecstatic. I, I, I like feeling good about baseball. I want to root for baseball. I want to watch baseball that matters. And so this World Series, I am so excited for because I'm not a huge baseball guy. I'm not. I don't cover baseball very often. I'm way more into football. But I, I want to like baseball. And I have a World Series I can root for, I can cheer at, and I can watch and enjoy. And that just makes me so, so excited. So Dodgers, Red Sox, don't care who wins. I'm rooting for drama. And uh, man, I love, I love watching the World Series. I do, because you have a game. You'll play a game on Tuesday, a little break, play a game on Thursday. I can recalibrate between every game. I can't do a game every day. I just get lost. Even in the, the NLCS and ALCS, I was like, I can't keep up with this because... You play games on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I, I, I can't keep up. But in the World Series, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you get a break in between games, a little bit of calibration. It's easier to follow. And I am so happy. I am so overjoyed that the Red Sox and the Dodgers are playing each other in the World Series. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, the last segment of the show, we're going to talk about Ohio State. Their shocking loss to Purdue. I couldn't believe it. We're going to talk about Ohio State. 
We're going to talk about Dwayne Haskins. Is Ohio State's quarterback still a Heisman favorite? We'll talk about the top four in college football. Who do I think is going to make the college football playoff? We'll do the top NBA stories, and we will end with the Buffalo Bills. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. It's been a long show. It's been a good show. And uh, I'm excited to talk about some college football now. I want to start with Ohio State. On Saturday, Ohio State lost to Purdue 49-20. to And it was a, a shock. It was an ugly loss. I couldn't believe it. I was like, man, I texted my dad. I was like, are you kidding me? Purdue? That's a team you lost to? I remember all week because I was working at College Game Day. I kept seeing promos. Kirk Herbstreit, ESPN, talking about, this is our big game of the week, Ohio State-Purdue. Ooh, and I didn't buy it. It's like, come on, give me a break. Ohio State's not going to lose to Purdue. Nope, <laughs> they did. I was the wrong one there. Apparently, I didn't know what to expect, but that was much, much more competitive than I believed it would be. Um, Ohio State, if you're curious, they only had 76 yards rushing, and Purdue had 161 yards rushing. What that tells us is that Purdue dominated Ohio State on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. Purdue's offensive defensive lines were dominant over Ohio State. And Ohio State's roster has NFL guys. That's that's weird. That's not I don't understand that. I don't know how to I don't know what to make of that, but no one could have predicted that Ohio State would have got pushed around by Purdue. That's weird and unexpected. Now, what I want to point out though is when Ohio State lost, their losing only made it clear how dominant they have been for years. Because everybody in the Big Ten, my friends at Michigan, I have friends, my old, um, my old RA, like in my other college, is now an academic advisor at Michigan. She was so happy, elated, when Ohio State lost. Everybody in the Big Ten apparently was celebrating and partying when Ohio State lost. And what, did, what does that tell us? Because when people celebrate you losing, it means you made it. I hate to say that, but if people celebrate when you lose, it's because you've been extremely incredibly incredibly successful for years and people celebrate when the Patriots lose people celebrate when Alabama loses like once every two years I mean I remember when Chip Kelly was with the Oregon Ducks dominating year in and year out people hated people in the Pac-12 hate the Ducks still to this day because of Chip Kelly and those swag uniforms and the fact that they dominated everybody people hated Pete Carroll at USC dominating winning championships so Urban Meyer is 77-9 and nine in his time at Ohio State. And the fact that people celebrated him losing, all that tells me is, wow, Ohio State's really been dominant the last couple of years because if, if Minnesota loses, nobody celebrates. If Nebraska loses, nobody goes, yeah, Nebraska, we hate them. No, if people hate you, it's because you're winning a lot. And so... You can say it's an embarrassing thing for Ohio State. They're in trouble. I think they're fine. I think a one-loss Ohio State team that wins the Big Ten still makes a college football playoff. And so if you hate Ohio State, you're all pumped up. Um, I don't know. I would slow your roll a little bit because until Ohio State loses two games, their season's not over, and they still have a chance at the national championship. And the takeaway from this is, again, if people hate you, you're probably doing something right. They're jealous of you. They're angry at you. They don't like that you've had success and they haven't. A lot of times when people are mad, it's because of that. I saw a guy today got a job in Bozeman, Montana, a broadcasting job. 
And I was like, oh, that's my dream job. I love it. No, not really. My dream job is working for myself, but Bozeman, Montana, that's where I want to move my show. If I can, if I can do strong opinion sports from Bozeman, Montana, that's the dream. I've made it. And I saw this guy got a job, and my first reaction was to go, oh, I'm jealous. And then I was like, wait a minute. I'm doing what everybody does to Ohio State. I'm happy for this guy. He got a job in Bozeman. Well done, man. Proud of you. That's awesome. You got a job in my favorite town in America. Awesome. Don't be jealous of other people's success. And if you are, you're people like fans who hate Ohio State and hate Alabama, hate USC, hate Oregon, hate the Patriots. I'm happy for other people's success. I'm secure enough to go, congratulations, man. Good job getting that broadcasting work. Now, after losing to Purdue, after Ohio State lost to Purdue, the question has become, is their quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, still a Heisman favorite? And in my opinion, the Heisman's going to come down to three players. going to be Tua Tungavaloa at Alabama, Kyler Murray at Oklahoma, and Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. Now, in my opinion, the ranking goes, Dwayne Haskins is the favorite. Tua is a very close second, maybe first. He's very close, though, like five votes to six. And Kyler Murray gets one vote. He's third, but he's a long way away from the first. So on Saturday, Dwayne Haskins very clearly had his worst game uh, this year. He lost to Purdue. Now, here's what a bad game for Dwayne Haskins sounds like. I want you to have some perspective here. This, again, this is one of Dwayne Haskins' Bad games. He was 49 for 73 passing, had 470 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Yeah, that's a bad game. Okay, that's how dominant Dwayne Haskins has been. His worst game of the year is the best game for a lot of players in college football. Now, one thing that losing did, losing to Purdue allowed Kyler Murray to get back into the race. Because Kyler Murray lost to Oklahoma this year, and I think if Kyler Murray had one loss and was going against an unbeaten Tua and an unbeaten Dwayne Haskins. He's not even in the picture, but now he's back in the picture because of that loss by Dwayne Haskins. Now, on the year, Dwayne Haskins has a 71% completion percentage, 30 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, and 2,801 yards. Dwayne Haskins has the best stats of any quarterback in college football. How about Tua Tungavaloa at Alabama? He's having a great year, but the problem is he leaves games early, which means you're left to your imagination a little bit. I mean, Tua is dominating, but he comes out of games early. They allow Jalen Hurts to play a lot in the second half. Um, and it's hard not to hold that against him, even though I know that's not fair. Now, Tua has great numbers. A 70% completion percentage, 2,066 yards passing, 25 touchdowns, a surprising, a shocking no interceptions um, and that you can either take it or leave it. It could be either less impressive that he hasn't been in any, in any close games, or maybe you could say, well, he's not being challenged at all. So I think Dwayne Haskins and Tua are the clear favorites for the Heisman. Now, Kyler Murray is a clear third, like long ways away from third. Here's why. He's got a 72% completion percentage. That's great. That's awesome. Uh, he's got less yards than Tua and less yards than Dwayne Haskins at 1,977. 25 touchdowns, just like Tua, but also three interceptions that Tua does not have. So right now the list goes, Dwayne Haskins is at one. He's got the best stats. He's been in closer games. He's got that really good Penn State win on his resume. But Tua has better stats than Kyler Murray, and he's unbeaten. And hasn't been challenged at all this year, which means one and two are like neck and neck. You could go either way. I, I would be fine with Tua winning the Heisman. 
I'd also support Dwayne Haskins winning the Heisman. I think Dwayne is like a little, barely ahead of Tua, but it's it's not by much. It's like a, the tip of a pencil, man. It's really, really close. And Kyler Murray is a clear third. I would vote for either Dwayne Haskins or Tua Tungavaloa. Here's why. Dwayne Haskins has better stats, but you can argue, well, Tua was dominating games and left games early. If he played the whole game like Dwayne did, his stats would be better. But you could also make this argument that Tua hasn't been challenged. Here's a sentence that makes it even more impressive. When you say, Tua has not been even challenged this year, that goes, wow, Tua's so good. He's so much better than everybody else. Hasn't even played in a tough game this year. Interesting. Do you value Tua, who's dominating so much and hasn't played in a close game? Or do you value even more the fact that Dwayne Haskins has a tough win against Penn State. I don't know. It's up to you to decide. Do you penalize Dwayne Haskins for losing a game and playing in a tough game against Penn State? And do you reward Tua for playing in a bunch of blowouts? Who has a better team? I think it's Alabama has a better team than Ohio State. I don't know what to make of that. So I think it's either Tua or Haskins right now. I think Kyler Murray is the only other person worth mentioning in the Heisman race, and he's a clear far and away third. But... Johnny Manziel won the Heisman and lost games. I think Dwayne Haskins can win the Heisman and not have a perfect season because if you look back at the past, Lamar Jackson and Johnny Manziel, you don't have to have a perfect year record-wise to necessarily win the Heisman. You just have to be incredibly dominant. Dwayne Haskins has been incredibly dominant. So if I look back at the past, my guess is Dwayne Haskins likely wins over Tua because of his better stats. Stats apparently seem to matter more. Stats and Heisman moments, that, ooh, that big win you had or that really close moment you had. Johnny Manziel's big win was beating Alabama. Um, and you could say that maybe Dwayne Haskins' Heisman moment is beating Penn State. Maybe Tua's comes this week against LSU, I don't know. But if Tua doesn't play in any close games, you're going to argue, well, what's his, quote, Heisman moment? I know that's silly, but it does matter to some people. Some people really care about playing in close games and not just rolling over your opponents. And having less help, I think, might actually hurt. Or, excuse me, having a bunch of help, having a great roster, fair or not, I think, in the voter's mind, could hurt to a tongue of Aloha. I think Dwayne Haskins, even after losing to Purdue, is still the favorite to win the Heisman. Okay, we have three topics left I want to talk about. I want to talk about college football's playoff. So the top four right now in college football are number one, Alabama, number two, Clemson, number three, Notre Dame, and number four, LSU. And LSU is not going to make it. I hate to break it to you. Next week, LSU plays Alabama. They're not going to be in the top four. So the top four we have now is not going to be the top four at the end of the year. So the top three are set, though. In my opinion, Alabama is not going to lose. Clemson is not going to lose. And Notre Dame, this is Notre Dame's schedule the next five games. They play Navy, Northwestern, Florida State, who's underachieved, Syracuse, who's not the best, and USC, who's got a true freshman quarterback. Notre Dame, I think, is going to go undefeated. They don't play in a championship game, so an undefeated Notre Dame team, that makes the college football playoff. So there's really only one spot left in the college football playoff, if you ask me. And it's either going to go to a one-loss Big Ten school or a one-loss Pac-12 school. 
And may, okay, maybe it doesn't. Because he, here's the problem that in the Pac-12, the only one lost team left is Washington State. And I don't care who you are. I think a two-loss Big Ten school, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, a two-loss Big Ten team still gets in it ahead of a Mike Leach coached one-loss Washington State team. But let's say it's two losses, then it still goes to Penn State. I don't see a possible way that a Pac-12 school gets into the college football playoff. The fourth spot's going to go to the Big Ten. Whoever wins the Big Ten is going to make it into the college football playoff. Either Ohio State only has one win this year, because Ohio State controls their own destiny. A one-loss Ohio State team that wins the Big Ten makes it in over a one-loss Washington State team that wins the Pac-12 and I'm not convinced yet that Washington State is going to win the Pac-12. So all Ohio State has to do is win out, and they're into the college football playoff. And that's what I'm predicting. My guess is that Ohio State... Here's the thing. Every year, you have a bad game. The question is, can you survive or overcome your bad game? Last year, Alabama's bad game was Mississippi State. They almost lost, but they overcame it and won the game in the end. Every year, though, you have a bad game, you got to overcome it. Excuse me, probably their, their bad game was losing to Auburn. But every single year, you have a bad game in college football. The question is, can you survive it? Either can you survive it and win, or can you overcome it in the rankings? Alabama overcame the Auburn loss in the rankings, and Ohio State can overcome their loss to Purdue this week. They just have to win out. They win out, they're in the college football playoff. I just I, I think that the final four in the college football playoff, here are the four teams that are going to make it in. It's going to be Bama 1, Clemson 2, Notre Dame 3, and Ohio State 4. And if it's not Ohio State, whoever wins the Big Ten, that school's getting in. I'm sorry, I don't think Central Florida's going to make it in. Their schedule's not tough enough because an undefeated UCF team and a team like Ohio State that has one loss in the Big Ten, a better conference, strength of schedule matters. Ohio State will get the final spot in the college football playoff. Two stories left I want to talk about. Oh, really, it's 11 stories because the next one's really fun. I want to talk about 10 NBA stories I really, really am excited about. So these are the 10 NBA stories I'm curious and interested in. If I'm wrong, if there's something I've missed, feel free to comment, let me know. These are the 10 I care about. The number one story, in my opinion, and there's probably, these are no particular order. There's just 10 of them. One of the 10 stories is Jimmy Butler. Is Jimmy Butler going to get traded from Minnesota? Don't know. Don't know what's going to happen. They don't seem to like each other. Minnesota doesn't like Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler doesn't like Minnesota's locker room. I don't know what's going to happen, but that drama excites me. I'm curious to see. The other story I'm curious about relates to the Golden State Warriors. Now, here's a drama I don't care about. I think the Warriors are going to win the championship this year. That's not interesting to me. What is interesting about the Golden State Warriors is, is Kevin Durant going to leave at the end of the year? Would Kevin Durant leave the Golden State Warriors? I think he would. Now, here's another wrinkle, though. This is a third story I'm curious about. Can the Boston Celtics beat the Warriors in the NBA Finals? That's interesting to me. Because if the Boston Celtics did beat the Warriors, maybe the Warriors, Steph Curry gets hurt, Klay Thompson gets injured, something happens, 
if the Celtics do upset the Warriors and win the NBA Finals, I think it's harder for Kevin Durant to leave. Because last time he, lo- he lost, he left. And he got a lot of criticism for it. How would Kevin Durant leave? Look, leaving the Warriors, jumping ship from the Warriors as they lose and going to the Lakers or the Rockets. It doesn't look good. I think in order for Kevin Durant to leave the Warriors, he has to win the championship this year. Because he can walk away with the ring and be like, I'm fine, I'm going to the Lakers. But if he loses, that's a much worse look for Kevin Durant. Now, the Lakers are interesting. My fourth story I'm curious about. Sure, LeBron's interesting, but I don't, like, he's going to dominate. Is that really, ooh, big shock, LeBron's going to be really good? That doesn't intrigue me. I love LeBron, can't wait to watch him. But he's not as interesting as he once was because he's, we expect it from him. Same way Alabama fans expect to win games, I expect LeBron to dominate. I'm not as intrigued by that anymore. Now, what I'm really intrigued in with the Lakers is this. Is Brandon Ingram going to progress? If Brandon Ingram plays at a high level this year, Kevin Durant is there. Then they have a chance at the championship. Kevin Durant, LeBron, a really good Kevin Ingram, uh, Brandon Ingram, that's really solid. Get Raja Rondo, you have Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma. That's a great team that could win a championship down the road. But Brandon Ingram must play well in order for the Lakers to get Kevin Durant. My opinion. Another interesting story at the Lakers, and this is still number four, is Rajon Rondo. I love Rondo. I'm a big fan of his. He's scrappy. He's a leader. Is Rajon Rondo going to start over Lonzo Ball? I think so. I think he's a better player, better leader. He doesn't have the same court vision, but he plays scrappy defense. Lonzo has no defense. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. Who do they choose? Do they choose defense and leadership or a better passer? Because Lonzo Ball's great passing is kind of mitigated when you have a guy like LeBron. It's, it's null and void. It doesn't matter because LeBron is so good at passing. He's the point guard on that offense, and Lonzo becomes kind of expendable. We'll see what happens. Does Rajon Rondo start over Lonzo Ball? We'll find out. My fifth story I'm curious about is the 76ers. Can anybody on the Philadelphia 76ers shoot the basketball? Excuse me. The question is, can Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz shoot the basketball? I'm not convinced. Markel Fultz had the yips last year. was awful. Ben Simmons, great at the rim. He can't shoot. Um, Is that going to hurt the 76ers? They got beat really badly the other day by the Boston Celtics. And a lot of that is because Ben Simmons is kind of one-dimensional. He can score at the rim and he can distribute the ball. But I don't know that Ben Simmons has a great jump shot. Will that hinder? In fact, the question is how much, how much will that hinder the Philadelphia 76ers this season? Let's talk about the Rockets. I don't really care about the Rockets. I'm not interested. But what I am interested in is how useless is Carmelo Anthony? <laughs> because they, they got Carmelo Anthony. He, he made it seem like a big deal. Oh, I'm joining the Rockets. Yes. Does it matter? I don't think it matters. I don't think Carlo Melo Anthony has any impact on the Rockets. I don't think he actually helps them at all. How little of an impact does Carmelo Anthony have? That's my narrative I'm curious about with the Rockets. Now, all my buddies who played college basketball, this is my seventh one I'm curious about. All my buddies who played college basketball say that Damian Lillard is someone you need to watch this year. Plays for the Portland Trailblazers. Um, sure, I, I grew up in Portland. I never really cared for the Blazers. But all my friends who know basketball, they're better, they're smarter than me. They all say, pay attention to Damian Lillard this year. He's said to have a breakout year, 
and a better year than he's had the last couple of years. We'll see what happens. Now, Russell Westbrook is my eighth story I'm curious about. I'm, I'm just, I think Russell Westbrook's going to underachieve this year. His body's wearing down. He's coming off an injury. Doesn't have a lot of help. I know he has Paul George, but that didn't really seem to matter last year. Russell Westbrook's going to underachieve this year. The question is how much. We'll see. That's what I'm curious about. My ninth thing I'm curious about is Trey Young. Trey Young with the Hawks is not an all-star. He's not a great player. He's kind of like Baker Mayfield where he's, I guess he's also from Oklahoma. He's a rookie. He's going to struggle. He's going to have growing pains, but he's good. He's solid, and you can build a franchise around him in the future. Now, the other day, Trey Young had 35 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers. My goodness, was it fun to watch. It was awesome. He had six threes. He also had 11 assists. I mean, Trey Young, I think, is going to work out in the NBA. Remember, the Hawks traded for him. They traded Doncic for him. That's interesting to me. And I think it's going to work out. We'll see. A lot of people doubt Trey Young. I'm, the more I see of Trey Young, the more I go, this kid could figure it out. He's young. He's going to play ugly. He's going to have mistakes. He's not going to end the year on All-Star. But, man, he's showing some promise, and that's really fun. Now, my last story in the NBA I'm curious about. Is anybody else a contender in the East? Like, not a contender to win the championship. Is anybody any good in the East? Are the Bucks with Giannis, are they going to come over the hump and play a little better? Maybe the Pacers with Victor Oladipo or the Raptors with Kawhi Leonard. Can anybody challenge the Celtics? I don't think so. I don't think the 76ers can. It's pretty clear. Um, can anybody in the East play a level of basketball comparable to the Boston Celtics? Maybe the Raptors with Kawhi Leonard. I don't know. But those are the 10 storylines I'm incredibly interested in in the NBA this year. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I missed something. If I did, feel free to tell me. I want to know. I want to know what you guys are curious about in the NBA because I want to cater the show to you guys and give you what you want, the coverage of stories that you want in the NBA. If there's something you want me to talk about in the NBA, I am more than happy to give that my attention. Okay, last story of the day. I need some water. My throat, we are an hour, 45 minutes in. My throat is dying. I am going to have a, what did, uh, God, what did Adele get? She had to like get surgery on laryngitis or whatever. I'm going to get that. I'm going to die. It's going to be awful. It's not natural for a person to talk for an hour, 45 minutes alone in their room. I, I just not, not, shouldn't happen. <clears throat> Last story I want to talk about is Josh Allen. Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills rookie quarterback, got hurt. And uh, the way the Bills responded to that was they brought in veteran quarterback Derek Anderson. And what the Bills did was they started Derek Anderson immediately. Said, screw Nathan Peterman. He's trash. He has too many turnovers. Because of Nathan Peterman's turnovers, we're going to give the football to Derek Anderson. Yeah, guess what happened? Uh, Derek Anderson had four turnovers on Sunday. And uh, the Bills lost to the Colts 37 to 5. Not 35 to 7, 37 to 5. It's ugly. Here's what happened to Derek Anderson. He was 20 for 30 pass, 20 for 31 passing. Had 175 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions, and a fumble. Four turnovers, that's ugly. I mean, that's might as well play Nathan Peterman. But I don't think it's all Derek Anderson's fault. Here's the problem. One, the Bills suck. Two, he's new to the franchise. He just got there like four days ago. I don't know how you play high-level football when you, you show up four days later and play. But uh, Derek Anderson was never a great player. Like, 
I don't know that it's fair to put him in a situation like this and be hyper mad when he has four turnovers with a bad team. He was never a great player, and he just showed up. Like, that's a lot to ask. But I was really against Josh Allen starting for the Buffalo Bills. My opinion was uh, that Josh Allen was going to get hurt, which he did, and it was going to give him bad habits. But the more I watched Josh Allen, sorry, the more I watched the Bills without Josh Allen, the more I realized I was incredibly wrong. I was really stupid. The Bills need Josh Allen. The Buffalo Bills need Josh Allen to play. I like Derek Anderson there. I want Derek Anderson as a backup, as a mentor. Like, Nathan Peterman is useless. Screw Nathan Peterman. Derek Anderson has some veteran experience. He can help. He can mentor Josh Allen. But at the end of the day, Josh Allen needs to be the starting quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. They can't win without him. He needs to play to get experience. I was wrong. He should play. The Buffalo Bills need Josh Allen as their quarterback. All right, guys, that's all I have. Um, It has been a long show, a wonderful show. I really appreciate you guys. As always, remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Continue to keep reaching out to me on Instagram. I got pit stains. It's ugly. I don't care. You mean a lot to me. I appreciate you guys. And uh, this show is my favorite thing in the entire world. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so much. But um bum bam oh one more thing I'm gonna go see this movie I'm gonna go see this movie called Halloween tonight no idea what I'm getting into my buddy Jared is super excited I'll let you know on Wednesday if it's any good it's supposed to be terrifying got really good reviews don't know what to expect all right but um bum bam we are done bye